Hello, everyone, and welcome to Season 1 of Beyond the Smile, real talk with real people. Each episode is a casual conversation with a social worker, a licensed counselor, an executive or life coach, a chaplain, a nurse, or a physician. My goal is to find out what truly happens after their client or patient leaves or the professional goes home. What is behind the smile and what does life really look like? This is not about taking down walls and boundaries. Our conversations are about normalizing the myth that is helping professionals. Our lives are always put together. This podcast is about accepting that we are human first, professional second. We all have hardship and struggles as humans, no matter what we do in our day job. It is about time we come together and talk about our common humanity instead of living in the shame of what we hide from others. This podcast isn't perfect. There are errors and dogs barking and misstated words and probably even made up words along the way. But there's also honesty and truth with some truly, truly amazing and perfect people. So let's not wait anymore. Here's today's episode of Beyond the Smile, Real Talk with Real People. I hope you enjoy and that you're able to realize you are truly not alone. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Beyond the Smile, Real Talk with Real People. Today, I'm honored to have Dr. Nikki here. Dr. Nikki, thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited. I'm very excited to have you here. So tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your background, why you went in the field, kind of the population you work with. Yeah, I'll give you like my elevator pitch. Um, so I am a licensed psychologist. I have um, my license in New Jersey and New York, and I am a certified telehealth person um, in Florida. So I can see people in those three states, but I'm physically located in New Jersey. Um, I have a physical office in Waldwick, New Jersey, which is like Northern New Jersey. And I see people throughout the lifespan, kids, Mm -hmm. teenagers, adults. Um, I somehow got the niche. Everyone always says like, you don't pick your niche, the niche finds you. And that's totally what happens. Um, I never plan to work with kids, but I mainly work with kids and teenagers who have anxiety, depression, behavioral issues. Um, The sky is kind of the limit with who I will work with. Mm So that's interesting. You said that I 100% agree with you. How did that niche pick you? I'm just curious. So when I was in my doctorate program and going through practicum and internship, they didn't let you pick your practicum sites. So my first site, um, I was placed in a high school. And then my second site, I was placed in a community mental health agency, but saw mostly children. And then after I graduated and I was looking for postdocs, the only thing out there was people who would work with kids. And I was like, okay, I'll put my hours in, do what I need to do. And then I I just got used to being on the floor, coloring and playing games. (laughs) That's awesome. And that's a lot of the reason why when people ask me, do you work with 
kids. I'm like, uh, uh, I, I don't color and play <laughs> games well. Uh, <laughs> I was able to do it with my child, but not so much in that's a it. therapeutic environment. Yes. So that's super interesting that that is what brought you into it. And definitely now, um, even prior to COVID, it's such a needed field. And I can speak for my area. There aren't very many individuals who really love and are passionate about working with kids. Um, and so it's a hard, it's a, it's a hard uh, person to connect with sometimes. Yeah, I agree. I think, like I said, I, I see everybody throughout the lifespan, but majority of the referrals that come in are children and teens. Um, mm. And even before the pandemic, because I'm licensed in several states, I did online therapy. And then, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of parents were like, you can't really do online therapy with kids. And I'm like, oh no, you can, you just got to get a little I'm bit totally more creative. Um, and the right. pandemic really showed that it is possible and it's mm -hmm. kind of here to stay. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And you just said it is here to stay. Um, is, you know, do you feel that you will end up doing more online when working with like the smaller kids or do you feel like that is something that when you can and and when people are comfortable that you would prefer to do in an office setting i would say i probably prefer to do it in an office setting um pre-pandemic my caseload was like only about 25 percent online and it was mostly adults and mm -hmm. kids you know i i've been doing therapy online with kids literally almost a year and mm -hmm. It is helpful, but I think the kids and I am too, they're getting tired of everything being virtual and you're missing that connection. Like I can sit on the floor and color, you know, why I'm at home and they're at home, but it doesn't have the same effect. So I have a feeling, you know, I will always offer online therapy, but I think with the younger kids, I would push more and strongly recommend doing more in-person sessions. Also, so I don't get seasick from the video going up and down. <laughs> so for my own sake, is, I might push in on Oh my gosh, that's such a great point. That's <laughs> such a great point. Because I, you know, I only work with adults, as I stated, but sometimes their toddlers want me, you know, I always say to them, could you go find your most favorite toy, aka give mommy and I a little bit of time to talk. And it keeps them busy looking for their most favorite toy to show Miss Melissa. And then by the time they come back and they take they take the video over, I'm just like all over the place, like trying to follow them. I couldn't imagine doing a session that way. I didn't even think about that it's, how fun it's fun, it's, fun. it's interesting <laughs> it definitely made me change my schedule and like how many kids and people I do see back to back virtually right, right. um so it's been a learning experience <laughs> mm -hmm. absolutely so over the course of your career whether it's working with munchkins or or working with people in the latter stages of their life what do you feel like has been one of the biggest challenges for you um, just being a provider um, in today's climate, but also in the beginning of your career before we even knew what the word pandemic really looked like? Um, I definitely feel like there, there's been a couple of things. So mental health and therapy in general is still very stigmatized. Um, so I think trying to break that barrier has been 
one of the greatest challenges for me, especially with like kids and teenagers, like the teenager, are like there's something wrong with me. There's nothing wrong with you. You don't need to come to mm-hmm. therapy because something is wrong with you. Um, so right. trying to mm-hmm. really deliver that message to people still of like, yes, there's a doctor mm-hmm. title in front of my name, but that doesn't mean mm-hmm. that, you know, there is something wrong with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and mental health treatment in general, it should be normalized and it's okay to get it. Mm-hmm. Um, right early on in my career and even now even though the podcast nobody will see my face I have a younger look to me so I think I can confirm that everybody (laughs) I look younger than I am um so especially right out of school you know I would bring people into the office and they'd be like okay like well where's the doctor and I'm like me I'm the doctor like I'm the one that you're seeing Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. or they would make comments like do you really know what you're doing you're kind of young and that is something that as I progress through my career um and my name gets Mm -hmm. out there a little bit more that doesn't Mm -hmm. happen quite as often now but Mm -hmm. being Mm -hmm. able to relate to whoever I'm working Mm -hmm. with with the kids me being younger sometimes helps because they're like you look like my teacher yes right Mm -hmm. um but trying Mm -hmm. to still be relatable is a struggle mm-hmm. I think for any therapist, but for mm-hmm. me, especially mm-hmm. of being like, I might look young, but I do know what I'm doing. Right, right. And people will see your face because now everyone's super curious because we'll have your headshot and your website <laughs> and all those fun things so they can track you down. Um, but yeah, and I can see that becoming a barrier with certain people who, you know, I think it's human nature to kind of judge based on outward appearances, especially going into a therapy office. You know, yes. people look at um, what what does your decor look like? You know, what you know what is hanging on your walls? What mm-hmm. is the vibe? What is the music? What are you wearing? Those kinds of things. Um, but also, they kind of make assumptions of age too. So I can see that being a, par- a barrier in some cases and a benefit in other cases. Yes, and you brought up a good point too like with the clothing you know I was always taught like dress for you know the people that you're serving or dress up a little Mm -hmm. bit for the people that you're serving but for me because Mm -hmm. knowing like they might be making judgments about my Mm -hmm. age I tend to Mm -hmm. when I'm in the office dress very business professional (laughs) to see if Mm -hmm. that helps a little bit more Wow. So I shouldn't probably admit on a podcast that I will not edit out that I wear flip-flops to work in the summer most days. (laughs) Totally fine. I know. You know, I think all my clients know that my my shoes are um, the furry boots that I won't plug in the winter and then flip-flops in the summer. (laughs) And like, despite the fact that I have a, I, I love shoes like a lot of my friends do. Those are my my go-to shoes. But yeah, dress does have an impact. And I think once you're established and once people know kind of who you are and you know what your creds are, then that doesn't matter as much. But I think for new clients, they always they always kind of like want to take a look until yeah. you start speaking. And I will yeah. definitely say with the pandemic and being a hundred percent remote, I wear yoga pants every day. Nobody can see my yoga pants. Mm-hmm. And now nope. everybody knows I wear yoga pants. <laughs> I know, exactly. Exactly. Oh, I used to have clients in the beginning say, Melissa, do you still have your, your, uh, your uh, favorite mouse pajama pants on? And I'm like, yes, I do. 
to my teenagers. <laughs> I'm like, heck yes, they are. And then about halfway through, I was like, I think I should probably step up to jeans, you know, before I live in pajama pants or yoga pants forever. So, but yeah, so it definitely, I think is obviously a lot more casual. We only see a portion of each other, um, but that is definitely a big part of it. Uh, so along your career, when you think about mentors and and those people who have who've spoken to your career like anybody that comes to mind there are a couple people um and i just realized i didn't fully answer your very first question on like what what was my draw to the field um and this actually kind of goes into it is so i had a high school psychology teacher um and if he is listening mm -hmm. to this he will absolutely know that it is him and he was really, it was my first step into psychology and what psychology was. I mm -hmm. took the elective mm -hmm. to fill my schedule, wasn't even thinking about going mm -hmm. into this field. And I really fell in love with it. And then I remember the summer after I graduated high school, going into college over that summer, I had reached out to him and I was like, Hey, I'm loving psych. Like, do you have any other resources? And he like, met me at the school to give me some of his textbooks to loan me just so I could like start researching. Wow. <laughs> what a great teacher. He was amazing. Um, and I still, you know, go back to his classes every now and then, cause he is still there and talk to his psych students, um, mm -hmm. and credit him for that. And like I said, he was really like my first step in the field. And then from there, again, if my other professor's listening, he will know that it is him. I had this professor when I was an undergrad. I, um, I got into a master's program my senior year in undergrad, and they allowed me to start the program early. And he was one of those professors. Yeah, it was amazing. Um, he was one of those professors that was like, well, what makes you think like you're good enough at the undergraduate level to take a master's class? And I was like, I'm gonna prove you wrong like challenge accepted. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Go you. Yeah. And like, I remember calling my mother every night after his class, bawling my eyes out. And I wound up staying at the same school for my, I got my bachelor's there. I got my master's there. I got my doctorate there. And he was with me every step of the way. And when I graduated with my doctorate, I was like, you, you turned into like a mentor and a second father for me. Like you were tough on me. You, mm -hmm. you know, you didn't let me slack off. And mm -hmm. you, you know, while I was in the program, I was hating you every step of the way. But then when I came out, I was like, <laughs> he did all of that for a reason. <laughs> Right, right. He prepared yeah, he me for what I needed. And empowered you. Absolutely. Yes. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sounds like wonderful. And it's, and I love the fact that they're both teachers yes. um, and they were in that role because I think that there are a lot of teachers, especially now that are feeling undervalued and stressed out and overworked. And just to realize that you can truly have just such a deep impact yes. on somebody's trajectory um, by your enthusiasm for what you're teaching, but also by just, you know, being there for that individual. Exactly. And, you know, the student might not realize it in the moment, but like looking back with my high school teacher, with my mentor throughout undergrad and graduate school, like they were foundational pieces for me to be successful. Right. right. 
Yeah, absolutely. You said something a little bit earlier that I kind of want to push on um, at, from a professional standpoint um, as well is just some of the challenges with stigma with your clients and clients coming in and feeling that they're broken or they need fixed or there's something significantly wrong with them. And I think as mental health professionals, you know, we kind of feel the same way at times is that, you know, I can't have any problems. I can't have any issues because if I do, then A, um, I just had a clinician tell me, I just, I, I need to find a new field because I'm having some anxiety. I'm like, what do you mean you have to find a new field? Like, welcome to being human. It's okay. Exactly. Um, but so we are very loud and we advocate and we just really promote that our clients aren't broken you know i tell my clients they just need to be a little tweaked and yeah and it's okay and we're just fine-tuning the edges but as clinicians we don't often take our own advice so where's that disconnect as you're <laughs> chuckling <laughs> i totally agree with that um i was chuckling because it reminded me when i was sitting in my interview for the doctorate program one of the questions was do you think therapists in training should be required to do therapy? And I was like, no, like nobody should be required to do therapy. And mm -hmm. now I'm like, I still agree. Nobody should be required, but I think it is so beneficial. And like, if you are going to go mm -hmm. in the field, being on the opposite side, like you being on mm -hmm. that couch mm -hmm. um, and playing mm -hmm. that client or patient role, mm -hmm. I think it would go a mm -hmm. long way. And mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I think as mental health providers, and I'm guilty of this too, like you feel like you have to be like immune to everything else around you. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. like you said, like we are still human, we're not robots. And right. that is something I've struggled with. And I think the pandemic really, at least for me, let me see like, mm -hmm. I, in order to be effective at what I'm doing, I need to take care of myself. And that includes mm -hmm. mental health treatment. You know, just as, yes. you know, primary care physicians, they also have mm -hmm. primary care physicians. Mm -hmm. Like, why is it mm -hmm. so strange that a therapist would also have mm -hmm. a therapist? That's such a great analogy. Holly, <laughs> I've never used that analogy before. It's like so simple and so brilliant all at the same time that doctors need doctor. They don't self-doctor. So why is exactly. it that therapists can't have therapists? We can't therapize ourselves. And or, even I mean, though we, we try, try to. <laughs> I know. <laughs> we do it very poorly. <laughs> we do. Yeah. Yeah. And I and think, I think there's a fear. There's a fear of being judged as well, which really bothers me when therapists come to me. Um, for all my therapy clients that are, are listening to this. Um, but I'm always, I'm very vocal. You know, I say it from day one. Um, I think people throughout the course of this podcast have gotten a little bit of flavor of my style. But when people come in and sit and say, I'm just afraid you're gonna call the licensing board. And I was like, what? Because if I called the licensing board to say you're human, none of us would have licenses. Mm -hmm. Like there is no judgment. In fact, I have more respect for individuals who come in and say, I'm going through a divorce, I'm burned out, I don't even like my kids right now, or whatever's going on, or I just need someone to process with. I have way more respect for somebody who is doing that than judging them that they shouldn't be practicing. And I, I agree with you, like, not that I thought that the licensing board was going to come knocking on my door, um, but mm -hmm. 
for me, it was like, and full disclosure during the pandemic, I was like, I need to be there for, you know, my people Mm -hmm. that see me and started seeing my own therapist and still see my Mm -hmm. own therapist. And it's a weekly Mm -hmm. thing. And for me, the hardest thing was like, I want to find somebody that's obviously a fit because that's a huge mm-hmm. part of therapy. Absolutely. But finding somebody that I'm not going to run into when I go to a training <laughs> or something. Like, I don't want to be sitting next to my therapist when we're at a CEU training. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. And I live in a very big, small town. And so, you know, when I was looking for somebody just for those, you know, like I've mentioned those just check-ins, am I doing everything I need to do so that I'm not bleeding into a session without even realizing it? I just kind of sort of had to go through psychology today and be like, okay, supervised you, yep, worked with you, yep, shared an office with you, yep, you worked for me, and it was like, check, check, until I could find somebody that I knew nobody, and it was my hairdresser, I was just telling her, I was like, I I have to talk to somebody, and she's like, why don't you call my person, and she gave me the name, I was like, I don't know who that is, can I have her number, Um, but there is that, I don't want to run into them, whether you're in a big city or a small town. And I think that's one of the beauty, the beauties of virtual therapy now yes. is that I see clients in different states. You're licensed in different states because I'm never going to cross paths with these folks because nope. we're in totally different states. And there's, there definitely is a comfort in that, mm-hmm. even though it really shouldn't matter. We're once again, I feel like I'm overusing it tonight, but we're human and exactly. it does matter. Yeah. It does matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So at least for me, that was my struggle was, you know, being scared of not just like the, the therapy process, because that didn't scare me, but like literally mm-hmm. running into my therapist at a training. Mm-hmm. So I, right. I used, you know, remote and online therapy to my advantage. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Absolutely. Because it gives you that space mm-hmm. without the fears that come along with it. Yeah. And I like how you had said too, like, it's just a check-in too. So like therapy, and it's something I always tell people who come to see me, like my -hmm. style of therapy is not that you are in therapy every single week for the rest of your life. That's not my style. You come in, we do what we need to do. You go Mm -hmm. on your way. Mm -hmm. And then as things come up, Mm -hmm. we do a check-in and see how things are going just like your primary Mm -hmm. care physician. Mm -hmm. And then you go on your way. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Yeah, I think I'm going to be stealing that from you, just FYI. I'll, gi- I'll give you all the credit, though, Dr. Nikki, all the credit for that one. Um, have you seen that change over the last year as far as people not, because I follow the same philosophy, like my job is to work myself out of a job. I am not here for you to become dependent on me. That's not, I'm doing you a disservice if that's what I'm doing. Um, but I've seen it kind of change a little bit over the last year in my approach, but also the client needs as far as, you know, kind of extending therapy maybe longer than I I would have just because of people are just unsettled. So what are your experiences with that? I would say mine are the same. I think when the pandemic first hit for me personally, I had a dip in my caseload because at that point, and I'm guilty of it too, I was like, it's going to be two weeks. It's not a big deal. Um, so people were like, we're just going to take, you know, the time off. And then it was, oh no, this isn't just two weeks now, you know, what am I doing financially? So there was another dip then too. And then it was like, this isn't going anywhere anytime soon. So I had, you know, my usual caseload 
two days before the pandemic, they came back. People were coming back from out of the woodwork who I hadn't seen in a couple of years. And it wasn't mm-hmm. just those check-ins. It, it was a check-in, but it was like, hey, like I want to see you routinely again now because we're literally in a state of the unknown and I can't handle it. And same thing with parents too. I feel like I was dealing more mm-hmm. with the parents and like how they can communicate with their kids, how they can get used to the kids now being home 24 seven, doing school remotely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. You're right. Like I'm not seeing that shorter therapy happen. It is longer and longer. Mm -hmm. And of course, if that's what you need, that's what you need. And that's what we do. Absolutely. Right. But I think that's also a barrier now to treatment because where I might have, you know, in two, three months, I might have an opening. I'm not having an opening now. Mm -hmm. So I used to have a wait list. I don't even have a wait list anymore because I say I'm doing you a disservice because I feel like by saying wait list, you're expecting something to pop up sooner. And I usually don't have a spot now for longer than three months. Like we need to get you in with somebody now. Right. Right. I had a family member I was trying to find a therapist for, and um, literally I went through 12, 12. And a friend of mine was like, can't you pull strings? And I'm like, I, I, I don't want to because I know how crispy everybody is. I know how overworked everybody is. Um, but to even be in the field and not to be able to access treatment um, for somebody who's in your family versus not knowing anything about how the system works, um, I really, I'm concerned and I'm diverting and I'll get us back on topic in a minute, but um, I am concerned about the longer term impacts because I know therapists are starting to get crispy. It's been a year. Therapists don't have openings. I can't really in my small community, I can't find anybody to place like friends, kids with. I can't find anybody. I'm sending them out of town to online options, which is fabulous. Um, but it's not always ideal for certain kids who've been on online school. Now they're going to talk to their therapist about their mother who's in the next room. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, Which so just another barrier. about that. Right, exactly. You know, with remote therapy, it was great. But I think in the beginning, I really had a stress to some parents more than others. Like this is still a therapy session. So like, mm-hmm. you know, allow the kid in their room or someplace safer that they can shut the door, put a fan on, let them put headphones on, do something mm-hmm. so that they do still mm-hmm. feel comfortable talking. Like most of my teenagers right. sit in their car during sessions. <laughs> I know. I was just going to say, how much car therapy do you do? Because I do a ton oh, of car I- therapy. Mm-hmm. A lot know, exactly. um, and I think too, like talking about the pandemic and like long-term stuff and barriers to mental health treatment, insurance is another issue that's been popping mm-hmm. up, especially with remote therapy and like what insurance mm-hmm. companies cover. And that's another, it was a barrier before the pandemic and it's still mm-hmm. a barrier now. Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we could um, have you back and talk about barriers to mental health care for hours on end, because I think there are so many, um, because like most things, you know, systems just need some updating, they need Mm -hmm. some changing, they need some better accessibility. And I think one thing that a lot of people are learning over the course of the last year, I mean, we've learned so much about our culture over the last year, but is that our mental health accessibility is really lacking and the system needs to be updated. I agree. And if you do an episode on that, I will 
happily come back and talk about Barry. <laughs> well, I wasn't going to give you a choice, but okay. Thank you for <laughs> offering. I appreciate it. Um, Cause I, I really think that is a, a conversation that needs to be had, but since we're talking about a year of being inundated and no wait lists, because we're just so full. And, and I think in the beginning for, I'll speak for me, it was, well, I'm sitting at home anyway. These people are really in crisis. Let me just add one more to my caseload. Okay. I can add one more to my caseload. What am I doing? Like this is short term. It's not a big deal. And then once, like you said, we all realized, okay, this isn't so short term. Then it was, okay, now I've got to reevaluate what's realistic it's still more than I'm used to working, but what's realistic to run the marathon in? And, you know, cause this year has been a marathon. So what have you done over this year for you to make well, sure you can sustain <laughs> the marathon? Well, I will say I was laughing as you were explaining this and shaking my head because that was so me in the beginning. I was like, I need to be there for my current people, for the people coming yes. back. And right. I was literally running around like a chicken with my head cut off. Oh, you yep. know, I don't have an hour commute anymore. I'm just walking upstairs to my home office. What's one more? Yep. What's two more? Like, and it right. got to be too much. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's also something as mental health providers, like we forget too, like you can't pour from an empty cup. We say that to mm -hmm. our patients and clients all the time, <laughs> but are we actually mm -hmm. practicing what we're saying? Um, and if mm -hmm. any of my people are listening right now, they're gonna be like, she says this all the time. Yes, I do. <laughs> so for me, I did, um, I am an avid reader. It is something that my maternal grandmother and I share together. She is my fellow bookworm. And at the start of last year, I had said, you know, I'm going to pre-pandemic, I'm going to do more self-care. I'm going to read a book a month. Mm -hmm. Thank you, pandemic. Mm -hmm. Instead of reading 12 books last year, I read 74 Oh my gosh, go yes. you. No idea how that happened. So like, hello, self-care, reading. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, yes. I was going to say, I think I've watched 74 shows on Netflix, but wow, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> reading, definitely some Netflix. Um, I got mm -hmm. really into, um, I, I, I can't sit still. I constantly have to be doing stuff, which is ironic mm -hmm. with reading. Um, but I got into doing puzzles more often. Mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. you know doing there's like diamond puzzles now just kind of anything mm -hmm. that could just get me moving doing that mm -hmm. I, I always say this I went back to yoga I want to love yoga so much and it's just like <laughs> it's not me but I want it to be mm -hmm. me so bad mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. so I did take a couple of yoga classes but mm -hmm. you know I think for me the biggest thing was going back to that work-life balance that I had before the pandemic. I had that mm -hmm. hour commute to the office to get into work mode. Mm -hmm. I had that hour commute home to leave stuff at the office or in my car. Mm -hmm. And now I didn't have that. So mm -hmm. I would say it probably wasn't until summertime, June, that I looked at my schedule and I was like, what is sustainable? I know the number of people you know, pre-pandemic that I was able to see in the office before mm -hmm. I wasn't effective. Mm -hmm. And right. being okay with scaling back from that of like, mm -hmm. this was my number, but now it's virtual. I am putting so much more mm -hmm. energy in, you know, when right. my little kids run into a different room and I'm like, wait, come back. Where did you go? Like, there's so <laughs> much more to it right. that I had to scale mm -hmm. back the number of people mm -hmm. I see a day. And I also got to the point where I'd say, you know what, 
I'm going to stick with the really young kids that I have and anybody who I have seen previously that is coming back, I will absolutely try to fit them into my schedule. Mm -hmm. But I almost did an age cutoff at a certain point that I was like, I I can't do this virtually Mm -hmm. right now. Um, So it was again, like finding that balance and being okay with like saying no, essentially. Right. Right. Yes, and and using my example with a family member, um, it was very clear to me as I was stepping back and and I've become very good um, just, I think, out of knowing what my balance is in saying no. But in those 10 phone calls that I'm making, I was like, wow, they didn't even hesitate. Like, why was I trying to crunch all these people in? Um, Because we're just hanging out at home. And so I think being able to say no and understand that if you can't fully show up, you're not really helping that client anyway. So you're, it, it's better to be able to refer out. Exactly. Um, because you can't fully be present for them regardless. Mm-hmm. And then I say like, then it's a waste of time. It's a waste of money. Like right. I'm not helping you. I am right. doing a disservice to you. And I obviously don't want right. that. Right. Right. And for those of us in private practice, turning away clients is like turning away dollar signs. Um, But the flip side of it is, is there are not enough dollar signs to maintain our sanity and our balance and the inability to fully be present with somebody and possibly miss something. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, It's tough in private practice. It is. It's tough in private practice, um, especially now um just with a lot of uncertainties it always is but you know just to know what that balance is of how many is okay for me not how many you know i'm i've got five hours tonight okay but does that mean i want to be working for five hours yeah probably not and also you know, I you'll think be reading me- a book i'll be watching <laughs> netflix yeah <laughs> i say also for me too it was like not comparing myself to like my colleagues like they're seeing this amount of people a day why am i not we're different people going back to right. like we're all right. human we're not robots right. we have different needs right. and again being okay with nope i'm not gonna have that yeah. extra person and i'm gonna sit and watch the mm-hmm. netflix <laughs> yeah absolutely absolutely um I'm hoping you have more books lined up because it's a lot of books to have gone through. I do. You know, I've been in like this book funk and I hate it because I'm part of two going on three book clubs um, mm-hmm. and being in a book funk, especially when you are the moderator for two out of the three book clubs is <laughs> not helpful. That's a problem. <laughs> yes. That's just a, a bit. It's, that's ironic because um, I just updated my bucket list because I'm a firm believer in bucket lists and join a book club made it to my bucket list. So it's ironic that you uh, it's a sign. are mentioning book. <laughs> it's a sign. It's a sign. So what piece of advice would you give somebody who is like in graduate school, maybe working on their PhD, maybe even in their bachelor's program? Um, and, you know, is, is contemplating entering the field? Well, given what I just said earlier, definitely maybe think about therapy if you haven't already to see, you know, what it is like on, you know, the opposite side of the chair being in the couch. Um, 
But I would like, I feel like even at the undergraduate level, like start networking with providers in the field, start seeing what is out there. You know, I think when you first go into like, you know, for me, the major psychology, there was so much that you could do with it, but also, you know, people were like, you can't do anything if you don't have an advanced degree and all this, like breathe do your research. Like, what do you see yourself doing? There are so many areas you can go into in psychology. It doesn't have to be therapy. It doesn't have to be private practice, but really start talking to people and getting a feel for, you know, what fits with my lifestyle, what fits with my personality. Um, and if you have the opportunity to get your feet wet in different areas, do it. You know, the worst that happens is you find out that it's not for you and that might not even be the worst thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It could be the best thing for you, you know, exactly. before you invest all that time and, and then you have this piece of paper that you're don't want to use or can't use or for whatever reason. Yeah, agreed. So any parting words for folks as they're trying to I love the faces. Maybe next season we'll do video so everybody can see the faces, um, you know, about finding that authentic voice, about being true to who you are as a human, maintaining professional boundaries, but, but being able to be present for your clients. I feel like just saying do you is not enough, but kind of that, like, do you do mm -hmm. what works for you? You know, try out different things. If it works, great. Continue doing that. I'm, I'm big on boundaries and, you know, it doesn't have to work for other people, but if it works mm -hmm. for you and it's something you mm -hmm. can incorporate, you know, personal life, professionally, keep doing it mm -hmm. because it's only going to continue to help you be the best version of yourself, which will then pour mm -hmm. over into other areas of your life. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Very, very well stated. What a perfect ending, Dr. Nikki, to our chat this evening. Um, everybody will uh, hear from you again as we talk about barriers uh, <laughs> to mental health, because that is going to be tucked away for a, a future session. But if people would like to seek you out, I know currently you're not taking new folks, but I'm going to be optimistic and say that, you know, things are going to start to shift and open up how can people find you if they have questions or eventually would like to work with you? Um, there's a couple of ways. I have a big social media presence. Um, my practice is Vici Psychological Care, which is V-I-C-I Psychological Care. Um, I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. I think you had mentioned you'll put um, my email address in, you know, the section show notes, um, yep. mm -hmm. show notes yes so you know feel free to check that out um my email address is on there my phone number whatever way you feel comfortable connecting with me do it mm -hmm. um and you know like you said i'm hopeful that the shift will happen soon too absolutely absolutely but if not i think you follow the same um philosophy that i do if someone's in your state and you can't help that you have some folks that you trust that you'd be able to you know refer them out to that hopefully that they could get connected with absolutely yes i'll never leave you stranded i will always provide you with referral right. options <laughs> yes Yes. Very good. Well, thank you again for being here. I hope uh, you enjoyed being a part of the show and we look forward to having you back in the future. Yes. Thank you. I enjoyed it. 
right, take care. And thank you to everybody for listening to another episode of Beyond the Smile. And we look forward to next week's episode. Have a good night, all. Thank you everyone for listening to yet another episode of Beyond the Smile, Real Talk with Real People. I hope you enjoyed the discussion today as much as I did. Don't forget to download, like, and share the episode with anyone you feel could really benefit from the message. In addition, you can follow us on social media, or you can sign up to be a part of the podcast and receive notifications of new episodes at our website, beyondthesmiletribe.com. Check back next week for another exciting discussion on Beyond the Smile. Until then, don't ever forget your worth and always remember to take care of you.